The district church exists to make disciples by interrupting people's lives with love because the gospel changes everything. To learn more about the district church and for ways to give to support resources like this, visit thedistrictchurch.com. So we're looking at what we call this sermon series is Ecclesia. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the closest translation that we have to that word um, that Jesus, is, Jesus uses in church is Ecclesia. It's also used 112 times throughout the New Testament. And so we are, we are asking and we're trying to understand what is that? What does that look like? God, if you're building your kingdom, if you're building your church, um, and we are a part of that. Those who trust and follow Christ. If that is us, if we are the ecclesia, what do we do? What does it look like? What is my role? How do I have anything to do with that? And so we're saying illuminate the church. That's what we've been looking at and, and asking God to do. We, we first looked at um, Ephesians. What we're trying to do is, is not necessarily sit under the text in a line-by-line -line exegetical study, but more or less to, to get into the mind of the author who is Paul. And we're asking Paul, why do you say the things you say? Paul, why do you, how do you see the things that you see? And for us to really try to adopt or have eyes like Paul has to see the church and to see the way that um, God is building it. Um, we first looked at the gathered church. So our church culture, we have what we call four Gs. That's gather, group, give and go. And these are four disciplines that we hold on to that we believe um, draw us very near to God and, and help us to resemble him and to walk in his perfect design of, of the ecclesia and as new creations on mission. So we first looked at the gathered church. The ecclesia is a gathering of believers. So what does that look like? Last week we looked at uh, groups, family of disciples, being unified, being together as, as the church. Um, and doing life together, studying the Bible together, walking in, in rhythms of grace and disciplines and repentance together. And this week we're going to look at the third one and that is giving. Next week we'll look at what it means to be missional and how we go. But this week we look at giving. Um, just to catch up on some of the language and some of what we've been talking about, we looked at the gathered church and how Paul talks about the ages and the gathering of the church in this age and the age to come and how Paul describes this overlapping reality of the present age that we exist in and then the age that is to come that was ushered in through the life of Jesus but will be completed when he returns eternally. And so that would be an inaugurated eschatology that we look at and how the church exists in this overlapping reality of ages and how throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about the ages. Last week, we looked at powers where Paul uses words like powers and rulers and authorities and dominions in the heavenly places. What are those? How do they exist? How do they have any role in our lives today? And we looked at that last week and how those powers are working to manipulate God's good design on earth and use it for ill intent, to, to disrupt, to divide, right? And then this week we're looking at giving and what is in contradiction to that? What is, what is, what is combating God's design for us to be 
selfless, server, selfless servants and, and generous givers. And so we go to Ephesians 5, one through two. That's where we're going to look at today. Ephesians 5, one through two. That's a brief catch up. There's so much more than that, but for the sake of time, when we read this letter to the, church, uh, the churches in Ephesus, when Paul writes Ephesians, other uh, epistles of Paul are very specific and sometimes intimate to those churches that he writes to. He is writing to a number of churches in this valley of Ephesus in Ephesians. So it's a little more broad than it is intimate and personal. And so um, in Ephesians, we see as Paul is thinking about the church and describing the body, describing believers, there's two distinct things that he has in mind as he is describing and leading and teaching the church. And we find those um, in a big way in Ephesians 5, one through two, where it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so do we see, we see imitators of God. Well, how do we do that? We do that in love, following after Christ as Christ did, as he, as he loved, as he gave himself. And so we could think about it in this way, when Paul see the, the, sees those who belong to Christ, he sees this, new creations made in the likeness of Christ, living as Christ lived. That's how Paul sees the ecclesia. That's how, that's how Paul would see us as believers. New creations made in the likeness of Christ, living as Christ lived. There's two core values um, that are given to us from the Bible, but that we have held on to throughout the history of the district church. Don't know if you know, but there's uh, five or six core values that we have had since the beginning of the church, and we don't talk about them a lot, but, but they are directly attached to everything that we do. This is one of the first ones that we see here. Serve selflessly. You could write that down. Serve selflessly. That's a core value that we have had at the core of our church and our leadership and what we do, and that would be acts and intentions with others in mind before ourselves. Serving selflessly is acts and intentions with others in mind before ourselves. We are a people that serve selflessly. And that's not just a calling for the district church, but that is a reflection of the true nature of the ecclesia. That's what Paul sees. The church should be something. We should be, we should be growing in this and it should become more and more natural for us as new creations to be serving selflessly. We see the mission of the gospel exploding, exploding across the globe because of selfless servants. How in the world do we sit in this room in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are partakers of the gospel of Jesus Christ that happened thousands of years ago on the other side of the world? How does that happen? It's through the ecclesia. It's through selfless servants doing as, as, as Jesus commissioned them to do and going beyond their means, beyond their comforts. And so we see this explosion of the gospel spread all across the globe through this. I think, as we look at this today, I think out of um, all of the disciplines that we are looking at, that we are to walk in and practice as the local church, I think this is gonna be one of the hardest ones. And I'll tell you why. I think this will be one of the hardest things for us to practice in living uh, selflessly and, and in, our, in our generosity. Um, and I believe that because there is great power that comes in laying your life down. 
There's great, great power that comes in laying your life down. When we talked about the rulers and authorities last week, right? They're outside of our natural world in the heavenly places, working to twist and manipulate the good things that God has created in this world, right? When we think about that, those rulers and authorities exist and they know and they see the devastation that comes in doing that. They see the the great power that they have to manipulate God's design and they see how strong it is when the ecclesia, followers of Christ, are selfish. You think about that. And in contrary to that, they see the great power that exists when followers of Christ are selfless. There's great power in that and they hate it. We see this when we look at Genesis. Let's go there real quick. Genesis chapter three, four through five. Jump back to the beginning of the Bible. Here we have creation. Genesis three, four through five. Creation existed in God's design and his perfect plan. Everything was good. Let's see that. And then we have Genesis three, four through five. We see the the beginning of this manipulating of God's design through these powers in the form of a serpent. Genesis three, four through five says this. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, that's the fruit of good and evil that was in the midst of the garden, the tree of life. He says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. What Satan does is through those powers, he presses upon Eve the sin of self. You will not die. You can eat it, it's good to eat it. And when you eat it, you will be like God. And we still fight this today. This is a natural reality and something that we fight today. In the beginning, uh, in Adam and Eve's life, in God's purpose and design for creation, God sat in the seat of God. God sat in God's seat. Everybody was in their own seat, in their own place, and it was proper. And what Satan did is he come and he flipped that. And he put Adam and Eve in the seat of God. Do you see this? He pressed upon them the sin of self that it's good and you will be like God. And so now Adam and Eve take the the seat of God and he still says the same thing to us today. We would not wanna say that, but how much of our time and efforts and money goes to ourself and to the building of our own kingdom? Thank you. It's me, guys, it's me, I do it. You say you want your kingdom to come, but everything around us in our natural world points to our own little castles and our own little kingdoms. We say we want God's name glorified, but can my name be in there too, right? We say we want, to, we want the world to see God lifted high. Can I be up there with him somewhere? That's real, that's natural. Don't look at me like it's not because I do it and you're not much different than I am. You guys are not much different than me. We do it, we do And it's okay for us to understand that and see how Satan works in that way, it's real. Satan told Eve that it was okay, and what happened? He focused on a result. He said, you will be like God. Where's the process? Everything in the process was put away. They had no clue what would come and them becoming like God and walking in what Satan says here. And what we have to be very careful of is to not dismiss the integrity of the process for the purpose of the result. Pastor Boyd had done an amazing job of instilling integrity into this church and into these leaders. Didn't matter how small it was, you don't fold. You do not fold. Doesn't matter how small it is. You hold tight to integrity 
because it's the process, and that's what we're gonna see here. It's not all about a result. It's not all about a result. As we studied last week, there's a great misuse of this power. Let me say this first. We don't live selfishly to produce acts of selfishness. I think I wrote that down. Maybe I didn't. We don't live selfishly to produce acts of selfishness. You understand that? If it starts with us being selfish, it's gonna end with us being selfish. It's it's not somewhere in the process gonna turn into something good. And so we don't live selfishly just so acts of selflessness can be produced. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. We studied last week that there's great power that comes in the misuse of God's design. Selfish living is a dangerous destroyer. The husband or wife that has an affair to satisfy their own momentary pleasure destroys their family and their marriage and the good things that God has given to them. When someone would turn their eyes, when someone would turn their eyes to graphic images exposing themselves to a misuse of God's design and sex, they are destroying the good things that God created them. Those who build relationships and make decisions based off of what is in it for me and what am I gonna get are working to maintain themselves in the seed of God. You see that? We need to see that clearly because it's massive and it matters. Just as it can be so powerfully destroying and devastating for one to live selfishly, there is greater power in selfless living. Hear that? We have seen, all of us, have seen the nature and the broken parts of people making selfish decisions. We've experienced it. And greater than that, there's greater experiences, there's greater life to be lived selflessly, selflessly. And what will matter at the end of the day, when your life is over, what carries so much weight, what cannot be burned and what cannot be buried with you is the way that God will use you to change this world and change people's lives through your selfless living. We saw this just two weeks ago. Washington AP writes this. Under the darkness of night and the rolling high seas, guys, this messes me up. Off the coast of Somalia, members of the U.S. Navy SEAL Team 3 began climbing aboard an unflagged ship that was carrying illicit Iranian-made weapons to Yemen. And as Navy Special Warfare Operator 2nd Class Nathan Gage Ingram began to climb the ladder onto the boat, he slipped and falling into a gap that the waves had created between the vessel and the SEAL's combat craft, he went under within a moment in seconds. Navy Special Warfare Operator 1st Class Christopher J. Chambers immediately jumped into the gap following him to save his life. But weighed down by their body armor, by weapons and heavy equipment, the two seals plunged into the depths of the Arabian Sea and they died. It's a very selfless thing to put your life on the line for the sake of your country, for the freedoms that we have. And then furthermore, to immediately take and put all of your comforts, all of your desires, all of your plans behind yourself and dive into deep, dark waters after somebody. This may be one of the greatest acts of selflessness that we see in our lifetime. And it happens every single day. There's men and women who sit in this room who are first responders and firemen and police officers, and that is massive. That is massive that people would live and give their lives in that way. And this this. Imagery is one of the greatest expressions that we have as the ecclesia, and while we can see it here existing on our earth, the greatest expression is through Jesus, 
right? That's, that's just, just imagery of what Jesus did. It just mimics that type of living as it should, what Jesus did. And so if you want to see the kingdom of God come, if you sit here as a new creation and you desire others to be changed as you have been changed and you wanna see sons and daughters who are lost joined to the Father again, the first thing we do is we pray and we ask God for it and say, God, would you do that? And then after we pray for it, we put our boots on and we get to work living a selfless life. The world around us should be so caught off guard. It should be freaked out by the way that the church and those who have surrendered their lives to the Lord live. By the way that the world outside is welcomed into the presence or a home or a relationship or a building. By the way that they are cared for, by the way that they are went after, by the way that they are put before them. I should freak them out. Because it did when Jesus was here. Jesus turned the world upside down through the way that he lived his life. We think about the culture at that time when Jesus lived and when Paul lived. And the culture promoted a very classified and selfish way of living, dividing people, as we saw last week. You remember? Remember in Galatians 3.28, the divisions that were taking place that Paul addressed? It was in ethnicity, socioeconomic class, and in gender. And that same text says that God came to bring them all together, to unite all. He came and laid himself down for all to unite. And we need to live in a way that shows that. Our lives need to resemble, the ecclesia needs to resemble the life of Jesus because this is a reality. Satan is working over time to show the world the opposite. What does the world outside of the church know? All the things they hate. The world outside of the church is being screamed and proclaimed all the things that the church is against, all the things that God is against instead of what Jesus came for. You see that? Have you ever been somewhere and you talk about the church and you're almost ashamed because of the experiences that others have had or hurt that people carry with things that have happened in the church? And you almost don't even wanna say you belong to a church. Satan is working to do that outside of the walls of the church. So that, that means that for us, for us, we have to be so quick and we have to work so hard to show the world what Jesus came for. I don't, I don't, I don't, I do not spend my time during the week praying and reading the Bible and preparing and listening to the Lord to come here and tell you everything you are horrible about, uh, everything you are horrible at and what God hates about you so that you'd be ashamed of it. That'd be a messed up thing to do. But yet that's what the world often hears about the church. That's not what it's for. As when Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church, that's not what he was thinking Right, And so the world sees that and we have, to, we have to be so quick. We have to be so much on mission. We have to be so serving selflessly to show what Jesus actually came for because that's not the ecclesia. That's not, a the, the church is a reflection of God's true nature and his true character. And through the church, the world should see a God that gives life abundantly, a God of truth, a God that brings illumination to the mind that he created a God that awakens the heart to true love through his love, to see the ability to live in his presence and his kingdom come and the urgency to be in it. That's what God's about. And we need to express that. Another thing that we see in this text um, that Paul shows us here is how we are to give, right? We are to give as Jesus gave. He gave everything. This text again shows that it was through love or Hebrews says for the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross. It was a joy. 
It was done in love with joy. And Paul writes in other epistles that it was with great gladness. And so the way that we give as New Testament creations, we give generously and gladly. We give generously and gladly. That's a core value that's been in, rooted in our church. You could write it down. We give generous, generously and gladly. That's what we are to do with what we have. Let me tell you this. Um, money is not evil. We can talk about it. It is not evil. Paul says it's the love of money that is evil. Money can be used in our worship of God, and it is. In a moment, we're gonna take, we'll all stand, and before we, after we sing, a little bucket's gonna come clinging around, and some people are gonna drop change in it. Somebody might drop it, and everyone's like, what is going on? And we pass that around, and we talk about it, and we pray over it. The majority of the giving and support to the district church and the missions of the district church does not come from that little bucket. It's automated, it's given online. But we do it in this gathering because it is a form of worship and we're gonna talk about it and we're gonna pray over it and we're gonna move that little loud thing around as an expression, right? It's worship, just like we sing, just like we read the Bible. And so money can be used as in our worship to God. Money can also be used in our worship to self. Money can be used to build God's kingdom. Money can be used to build our kingdoms. But God can do great things through our finances and how we use them. I'm not sure what you have been taught, and so let's take a second and let's look at it together. Um, what you've been taught about money in the church, what you've been taught about what, what some call tithing. And so let's look at it. Um, a tithe, if you hear about a tithe, that's a tenth. Tithe is attached to a tenth. It's because it's just what it means, a tenth. We first see um, an example of a tithe in the Bible in Genesis 14, uh, 19 through 20, where Abraham returns from war and he's met with Melchizedek. And Melchizedek uh, attributes all of Abram's or Abraham's um, victories to God. And in response to that blessing, Abraham responds by a tithe, giving him 10% of all that he owned and, a th and thanking him for that. We also see tithing in the Old Testament um, in the Jewish culture. It was in response to what had been given by God. So the first fruits or a tenth would be given or returned as an offering and honoring God. And that was the Jewish law, that was a practice. And so let me tell you this, as we're studying Ephesians for these next six weeks, and as we're looking at other writings of Paul, we have to be very, very careful when we see Paul use words like freedom from the law. We have to be very careful in studying the Bible and in, and in reading Paul's writings that, that Paul believes we are free or that there is a, a no accountability to that, or that Paul would be against the law. He's not, he's not. What do we learn about Paul? That Paul was a devout Jew. He knew very well the Hebrew Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament. He was educated and he lived under the law. Paul did, he loved the law. Paul was not against the law. What Paul was against are those powers misusing and twisting the law. Paul saw the law as a good thing given by God to bring his people closer to himself. That's how Paul saw the law. And he lived under it in that way. And Jesus also says, I came not to abolish, but to fulfill the law. And so as we look at the life of Jesus, and as we look at the teachings of Paul, as a New Testament creations, on, on this side of Jesus' coming, we should be asking, what is the fulfillment of the law of tithing? What is the fulfillment of that? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? The New Testament, when we look, it points to a very different way of tithing, and we call that Generosity. Because it's not just a number, it's not just a, print, a percent, it's, it's a way that we live our life. 
and then an expression of gladness in it. And, and when we look at that, when we look at Jesus's life and what Paul teaches to the early church, it really blows the roof off of 10%. If you give 10%, that's great. Hey, praise God for that. If that's where you wanna start, if you, if you look at the Old Testament and the law and you see that God gave that and it's also a place for you, that's great. Praise God for that. What Paul is saying is it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It's more than that. It's more than just giving 10%. From this Old Testament law, there is not freedom. What there is not, there is not freedom to give less or to not give at all. Some people use that as an excuse to see what, what Jesus has done in the fulfillment that we are not under that law, so therefore we have no attachment to it. And that's not the case. If you have re received eternal salvation from God, respond. Respond to that. Like, what do we do with that? And we can get very, very serious in talking about this and we need to. A follower of Christ who would take the blessings that God would give specifically in finances and hoard or hold on to them it has to be talked about. We gotta think about that. And what happens is we take disciplines from the world around us and we look at the world outside of the church, outside of a new creation, and we allow that to be a structure or system for what we are supposed to do, right? You understand that? We look at others and as long as I look like them, as long as I, I drive what they drive, I'm there, I'm there, right? And then we would go further to build our status of success if we have more than they have, or if I, if I do better than my mom and dad did for my family, then I'm successful. We can't do that. If somebody, because somebody has money and they've done a good job saving or investing or maybe they got lucky, I'm gonna follow them and I'm gonna do that. You're looking at the result. You're looking at the result. You have no clue if that person has been following Christ. You have no clue what they're doing with their money. Let me tell you something. The, the world outside should look at the church for what we do with our money. Should look at the church for the way that we live our lives, for the way that we spend our time, for the way that we talk, because we have truth. We have guidance. It's like being on a path. And Jesus has walked that path and has given it to us. And the Holy Spirit has put a flashlight in our hands. And we say, I'm gonna turn this flashlight off. I'm gonna set it down. I'm gonna leave this path and follow this person through the dark because I like their shoes. Because I like what they're driving out there and I want what they have. It's ridiculous. We have historical and biblical accounts of experiences of people who have walked with the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit tethered to our spirit, illuminating our eyes to see the truth we have guidance. The world should look at the church for how we are to live and what we are to do. And so we find ourselves, when, when we live outside, we find ourselves hoarding the resources and blessings that God has given to us to be used for his kingdom. And your kingdom will never be enough. My kingdom will never be enough. I'll build it all day long. I'll waste all my time and I'll spend all my money on it. I constantly have to kill that in myself. It'll never be enough. Our world and our culture screams, keep going, keep building, keep hustling, and we allow our natural world to set that bar for what that looks like instead of God and his word. So what does Paul say? In 2 Corinthians 9, six through seven, in talking about giving generously and gladly, Paul says, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, 
not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Have you ever seen the video of the um, guy in church? It's like an old Pentecostal church and they have their giving up front and they put, the band plays and everybody dances and brings their, like, their money up and drops it in. And this dude dances for like five minutes and it's beautiful. Like I just, I'll die laughing. I wanted to play that, but I feel like it'd be a big distraction and I'd never get us back. But that's what I think about when I see cheerful giver. But what this is saying to us, what Paul says is generosity takes planning, it takes preparing. Generosity is a process. It's not just a result. God wants your obedience, not your money. He wants your obedience. And so it's, it's, a, it's a process for us, generosity is. Just as we saw in Genesis, it was the result that was focused on. We don't focus on that. Your worship of God and your giving might come by the way that you live without you may surrender your own comforts and the own things that you want so that you can give. And that process of doing that is worship to God. There's worship in the process, not just in the result. When, what, Paul is, what Paul is not saying when he talks about this text of sowing, he is not saying that we give with the anticipation of a, beggar, a, bit, a bigger return on investment. He's not saying that. We do not give, we do not give so that we will get that's what the world does. We do not give so that we will get. You've already gotten it. What are, you, what are you after? You already have it. You have salvation. You have restoration. You have a relationship with God. You have a, a, a new creation, new eyes, and a new mind. What are you after? What are you trying to buy? We respond in that because we don't buy blessing and we don't fund faith. We don't. We respond in obedience. And so that result has already come. We already have the result we just submit to the process in obedience. Ephesians 4.28 says this, when Paul's writing to Ephesus, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul creates three categories here. He first shows a thief, those who are taking, those who are taking with no thought of anything thereafter, working, laboring in a good way with integrity or giving it away. He shows the thief. The next thing he goes on to say is let him labor. So now he's bringing work in and a proper design for work. But then he goes further into the realm of new creation and he says, give so that he can give. And what I think is unique about this is when Paul says to anyone in need, to those that are in need, we said last week, if you were here, we have needs. I'm needy, I'm needy. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, give us this day our daily bread. You got kids, I see kids all in here. They're hungry. You know, I know they're hungry. But if they're like my kids, my kids think food grows in the refrigerator. They don't. We have needs. Your family needs to eat. You need clothes. You need a car to be fixed, to get to work, to make more money. We have needs, and that is very, very real. And where Satan works is he takes sometimes and he, he attaches those needs to comforts. We gotta define our needs, what we need and what we just want for ourselves and what we want for our own comforts. I understand need, listen to me. I understand need. Till I was 10 years old, our house had a, 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 a license plate and taillights on it. Never thought about living in a two-story. We thought maybe we'd get another single wide and stack it and we wouldn't have a double wide, we'd have a double high and we'd be living. We, I thought everyone ate cup of noodles because cup of noodles were good. I didn't know it was a 22 cent dinner, cardboard corn and carrots, I didn't know that. I thought it was good. 
And, and, and I saw the way that generosity was gladly expressed through my mom and dad always caring for us. I didn't know we were poor. I didn't know we were without. We always ate. And, and so the way that you express generosity and glad giving and selfless serving can be right now just caring for your family. You may not be in a place where you have anything to give. That's a reality. But we're gonna see in a second that does not disqualify us from the call. Um, let me tell you about myself since we're there. I am not um, the guy who's gonna stand here and say, look at me. I'm not the example of um, the pinnacle of financial responsibility. Don't look at me for that. Um, just saying it in this way, I'm probably not the guy who's going to enter into heaven with a bank account, leaving behind a bank account of millions of dollars and like this whole financial stability. God has blessed us, so I have to continue to cut that off, not bragging. I gotta cut that off in the way that I steward what God has given to me. I'm more or less the guy who Jesus is gonna see from afar on a jet ski with the kids on a tube and Holly's saying, slow it down. Like I'm spinning it all the way out. Like we are going, like that's, and I have to cut that off and be responsible. But something that Pastor Boyd has instilled in us, this church gives 12% away. We give 12%. And sometimes it's more than that. But at a minimum, we take 12% and we give it away. And so Holly and I have established that in our family. And we give 12 to 15%. Sometimes it's more. Majority, 12% to the church and, and majority, um, or majority to the church and some of that to other um, missions that we just feel God puts on our hearts and sometimes things happen with the building and we give, try to give as much as we can. And, but that comes out first and then we take after that and we automate it. And so we're not even tempted to say, well, we could do this if this was available. It's not even available. It's God's, it's not mine. Um, God also teaches us about generosity from the poor. Second Corinthians eight, one through, one through five. Let me just move through this for time. We got so much more that's so sweet for us to share. Um, but I'll read this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test, listen, a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. That makes no sense. In their severe test of affliction, there was abundance of joy in their extreme poverty. They have an overflow and a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So we see Macedonia, people that are poor, a people that are without, but they desired, they craved to be a part of the, the church of Christ, the explosion of the church coming to life. They craved that. They wanted to do something about it. They wanted to be a part of it. And in that posture, even though they were without an extreme poverty, God provided an overflow of wealth in their generosity. And where did that start? Verse five, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Our selfless serving and generosity comes from the overflow of Christ within us. Hear that? Our selfless serving and our glad giving comes from the overflow of Christ within us. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Second Corinthians 8, 5, it says that. The explosion of God's grace through the generosity of these people began with them giving themselves to the Lord. And I, what I don't wanna do is I don't wanna produce guilt. I don't wanna put shame upon you. If I've done that, I'm sorry. I want it to be obedience. That's what God wants. 
Paul went from death to life. On the, road, on the road to Damascus, it changed his entire life. And we've seen throughout this series that it changed his perspective, his understanding, his rhythms. Everything about Paul changed. And on that road, Paul lost his vision. So he literally was blind. And then when his eyes were opened again, he saw everything new. And I think oftentimes in, in discipleship, we can, we can fail to do this. We can fail to point to um, an entire regeneration of our entire life experiences and personhood. When you become a new creation, everything should be surveyed. Everything should be looked at, everything, because sin affects so much of us. And so when we come to this place of being saved, you have to realize there's experiences, there's desires in us that are apart from God and will not be natural in walking with him. So as a new creation, why do you look at the things you look at? Why do you say what you say? Why do you, why do you listen to what you listen to? Why do you eat what you eat? How much do you eat? Why do you eat that much? How much do you drink? Why do you drink that much? Everything in our lives, what do I think? You understand that your mind can be used in worshiping God? We think because it's closed off and nobody sees that. We don't understand that your mind is a tool to worship God. And when things come to mind that are dishonoring to God, you cut it off, just like anything else in our life and our walk with Christ. The things that we think about, why do we think that way? Every bit of us needs to be surveyed. And for some of us, there is no selfless serving and there's no rhythms of, of, of glad giving because we don't know anything like that. We've never seen it before. We have no experience. And so we have to look at that and begin walking in that way. When God saves us and changes our entire lives and our entire person. And we use the language from death to life, but often fail to live in that way. We carry things for years that God has freed us from. Where God says to stop, we keep going. And where he says to walk in faith, we stand still. And so we have to see that and we have to work on that. Second Corinthians 8, 7 says, but, but as you excel in everything, the process, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's talking about in giving, in glad giving. Selfless serving and glad giving is a process and it's a practice. Um, I'll say this, it takes money to do ministry. It takes money to do ministry. That's nothing to hide from. If you're hungry after this and you wanna go out to eat, it's gonna take money. You wanna go? You wanna drive there? It's gonna take money to get there. If you want me to go, again, I'm saving for that jet ski, you might have to pay for me. Like, it takes money. So much of what we do takes money. And praise God, though, that he would use something that we put our hands to and that we work for, for his kingdom to be built. That's a good thing. That is a good thing that God would take my money and use it for good. That he, would, that he would curate or create a space where people can come and worship, where his word can be proclaimed, where we could pray together, where resources can be created so that we would look more like God, where children can be discipled, where a building that sits at 4045 Post Street can be bought and renovated for the sole purpose of magnifying God. You'll take my money for that? Praise God that he does that. Praise God that he that does that. I think if we could see what happens when we, when we pray, we'd never stop praying. If we could see what happens when we serve, we'd never stop serving. If we could see what happens when we give, we'd never stop giving. And so I wanna end with this, just telling some stories of God's grace through people who have served selflessly and given generously and gladly in this church. A couple weeks ago, um, Pastor Trey sent some stuff to the elders and pastors, and he's said, uh, basically what was going on was this lady, 
um, had been given to the church faithfully for two years. And giving statements went out and she said, hey, I'm missing a little bit on here. It didn't show all of my giving that I've, I've given to the campaign. And she's like, well, can you send me a confirmation? Let me look at it. She sends a confirmation. It has a logo from District Church in DC. Totally different church, totally different organization. Come after us, we have no clue. And she's like, oh man. And he's like, guys, this lady's given over $5,000 to our church and she wants it back. <laughs> and he's like, she's asking for it back because she gave it to the wrong church. And like Trey, like a good pastor who loves you know, our church well, he said, no, that we're not gonna, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Trey, you know, he said, yeah, absolutely, I understand. Like she was out of work and she was trying to fulfill commitments. She was faithfully giving to her church. Then her mom had cancer and she went back to Trinidad and she was still sending money while she was caring for her mom out of work to fulfill her commitment to their campaign. But even still, you walk in on a Monday and it's like someone's got their hand out for five grand and it was like, you've been giving for two years? You didn't even know this? So, you know, we were like, well, yeah, let's, you know, so Trey gets on a call and he's like, hey, do you want us to send it to your church or do you want it personally? What do you want to do with this? And she says, hey, listen, listen, God knows where that money was supposed to go. I don't need it. I'm sure, and I don't know what she saw about our church, but she said, God knew where I was supposed to give my money. I don't want, I don't need it back. I'll do great work with it. This, that lady will never step foot in this church. And this is not shame. There are people who are served by this church. There are people who take and consume and who will never serve and who will never give. A lady will never experience the fruit that God gives through this ecclesia. She gave. Seven or eight years ago, we sat with um, one of my favorite families and um, a family that had been praying and begging God to work and um, well, there's a video. We put, we put together this video. So let's take a second and watch this quick video. It's very special in what we get to talk about today. And then I'll follow up for us. Um, so this was, was trip nine. This was eight years ago we put this together. And um, it's a process to walk with a family and something like this. And it's a celebration to celebrate. And today, Trip has a little sister, Evelyn, and a little brother. I call him Crispy, but it's Crosby. And... Um, and what is beautiful about this is um, the selfless serving and giving is a family built, is an ecclesia, is, a, is a, a building where people can come and hear about Jesus and resources can be given and songs could be sung over families and kids could grow up hearing those songs. And what is beautiful about this today is today Trip gets baptized. And this little boy that we prayed for God did not end the work there. He continued working and wooing and stirring. And it's a beautiful thing that we get to do this together. Let me tell you something. If God can multiply children and disciples through our selfless serving and our glad giving, if he could, if he could take what we have and do something like that, I'll give it. My God, I'll give it. You can have it all. And then I'll serve in any way you want me to serve if that's what you're gonna do with it. And so for some of us, as we respond and think about responding, um, if you don't know him, um, this stuff can't be bought. And that's not what we're talking about. You can't buy any of this. If you don't know him, it comes through a relationship and any of our elders and pastors and group leaders who will be out here up front would love to pray with you and praying to God that you would know him and trust and follow him. And for the rest of us, I pray that we would experience God's goodness as we take steps of selfless service and glad giving. Would you stand and let me pray for us? 
God, thank you for this. Thank you for beautiful expressions of your true nature, of your true character. And God, thank you that you call us to be reflections of that, God, that we can walk and live a life of selfless service that reflects Jesus, of glad giving that reflects Jesus, one who was fully God, King of kings, and left that throne and gave everything. What a beautiful example of selfless serving and of glad giving would we follow after you, God. Thank you that we could celebrate. Thank you that you don't leave us to do it by ourselves, but that you walk with us, that you enable, that you equip us to do that, God. So would we fully trust you and in the process, would we look more and more like you? In your name we all say, amen. To learn more about the District Church and for ways to give to further resources like this, visit thedistrictchurch.com.